You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abu Al Samad. So, Sam, you're finally uh, back uh, wheels down from CES, which uh, I think maybe you probably saw like a quarter of the show, half of the show. Oh, phew, not even that much. Um, yeah, I, I landed back here in uh, Michigan about eight hours ago, uh, thankfully. Um, got <laughs> escaped from uh, Nevada again. Um, and yeah, during, during my time, I. I was in Vegas from Sunday this week until I flew out uh, on Thursday morning, and uh, at the LA convention or the, the, sorry, the Las Vegas Convention Center, I never even uh, went into the central or south halls at the convention center. I was doing stuff between the Westgate Hotel, the um, the North Hall of the convention center, the convention center parking lot, uh, the Wynn, the Venetian. Uh, the MGM Grand and Mandalay Bay. And, you know, it's it's just so ridiculous. That show is so stupidly large and spread yeah. up and down the entire length of the Las Vegas Strip. You know, it's I, it's just nuts. I was talking with another freelancer who was actually really interested in, in covering uh, CES. And, you know, there were a few of us in the, the Slack and those of us who have been to shows, because I've never been to CES, but I've I've covered some auto shows and, and stuff, um, and I've provided sort of the the like solid stable support while the rest of the team <laughs> is at the show, uh, and you know those of us who who had done it or been part of that team, we were just like, yeah, I mean it sounds neat. It's not as cool as you think like you should definitely try it and do it and, and have that experience. But like expect to be actually a little bit um, I don't want to say underwhelmed, but just like it's it's not it's not as cool when you go work it as it might be when you go and, and yeah, see I mean, it. If, if, if Yeah, if all you're doing is just going to just look around at stuff. Um, yeah, that would be one thing, but actually, I mean, it's not like it's even open to the public anyway, because it's, it's a trade show for, um, retailers and vendors. So, you know, it's not like you can just wander in off the street anyway. Um, but even, even right. from that perspective, you know, I, I can't imagine it's, it's the most vastly overrated experience I think in my life. Yeah, it was kind of like, I mean, it's it's almost exactly like SEMA. It's another giant industry-specific trade show. Mm-hmm. Um, Only it covers a lot more industries. You know, between, besides automotive, there's also TVs and stereos and IoT and smart home stuff and 
um, healthcare. I mean, it, there's everything there. It's just, I think this year they were expecting something like 180,000 attendees. Yeah, I mean, looking through the coverage, all I see really is a whole lot of nonsense of like these. It's weird, and it was almost a Twitter meme too. Just like strange mashups of things in other things that should not be things. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like. Um, Although I did see the, I went to the Showstoppers event on Tuesday night, and you know the Showstoppers is this sort of separate side event where they have like a hundred vendors there, uh, and the the guys that organize this thing, they charge I think from like five to fifteen thousand dollars to get a table at this three hour event, and then only media and analysts are allowed in to to see it, and. Of the hundred or so vendors there, I would say probably ninety-five of them were things that were pretty useless. Right, and I mean, I know I'm cantankerous. I know that uh, I've sort of grown into my curmudgeonliness. Or no, you I, were born curmudgeonly, Dan. I, I was, but I actually actively, I think, um, cultivate that <laughs> side of the personality too. I mean, it just. Looking at it, I'm just like, why? Why would you? Why would you want that? Why do you want voice-enabled everything? I don't want to talk to machines. It's so infuriating. I don't want to do it. It's slow. Give me a button. <laughs> like, and 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 I don't. I honestly, first of all, I, I'm not interested in watching that much TV series, streaming video, or anything. Which is weird because, I mean, that's. I, but, I make but Dan, ads. You, you know you want an 80-inch OLED TV that you can roll up and stick in a closet, right? I mean that that's cool. I <laughs> I actually I mean that's that's interesting, and I like that you can you can roll it up and store it. 80 inches is enormous. I don't I don't have a a, a place to view that unless I put it in my backyard <laughs> and had the neighbors over. Um, I don't like them enough to do that. <laughs> it's just i don't know so we'll stick to when we talk about ces um we'll stick to cars and we I and mean, we should probably just start with uh the test ride that you took up and down the strip right or, or where did it yeah. go yeah well um yeah since um you know i've been at ces been in vegas for the last four four and a half days four days um, too many yes exactly <laughs> um it uh I, I didn't you know didn't really have a chance to uh, drive anything here at home uh since the since we talked about the elantra gt last week um but i did uh, get to ride around uh and I, I i spent a fair bit of time riding around in various cars with lift drivers but uh the most interesting uh lift ride i had uh was actually with uh aptive which is the uh company that was formerly known as delphi uh and split off their powertrain uh technology group uh about a month ago and that new company that consisted of all the powertrain business is now delphi technologies and what's left over which was all the automated driving and electrical and electronic architecture and wiring harnesses and uh, services business is now known as Aptiv. And uh, Ap uh, Aptiv also you know, recently added to its business with its acquisition of Newtonomy, a uh, Boston-based startup, uh, a couple Yay. of months ago. 
<laughs> and uh, so uh, Aptiv has been developing automated driving systems for uh, the last three or four years. And I've had a couple of chances to take demo rides in some of their earlier generation prototypes, which were based on Audi Q5s. And it, over the course of the past year, they've built a fleet of their latest generation prototypes, uh, which I think now uh, th these are their new prototypes are based on BMW 5 Series sedans. And so they now have uh, total uh, their entire fleet, uh, I think, close to 100 cars. Uh, in various locations, including in Singapore, where they've been doing a pilot test there, along with Newtonomy, uh, since uh, September of 2016. And this was their first uh, real public test uh, here in the U.S. And so what they, you know, on Sunday afternoon, they had uh, demo rides for media and, and analysts. Uh, and we got to, to sample what was going to be going on during the show itself. Uh, for the first time, uh, Aptiv uh, was partnering with Lyft this week to offer rides in auto automated vehicles to show attendees. So if you had the Lyft app uh, during the day between Tuesday and, and Friday, uh, which is tomorrow as we record this, uh, you, and you were near one of the locations that, that they were servicing, you could, and when you open the app, it would give you the option of, you, you might see the option of uh, picking a self-driving ride. And if you tap that, it would pull up a list of 30 potential destinations you could go to. So they were basically covering all of the major hotels and convention centers uh, where uh, CES activities were going on. And before, uh, so, you know, basically they would, they would pick up anybody uh, that, uh, that wanted to get a ride. And I got a chance to sample that on Sunday. Uh, and rode along with uh, Jada Tapley, who's the vice president of engineering for Aptiv. And it, uh, it was it was interesting to see how how well the system was working. So um, they took us from the convention center down the Las Vegas Strip to Caesar's Palace and then back again. And the car you know, had to <laughs> had to navigate through, you know, not only, you know, the, the streets, but also, you know, dealing with Las Vegas traffic and. You know, Las Vegas traffic on the on the strip is generally pretty bad anytime, but it's particularly bad during CES. And, you know, so there's a lot of cars, a lot of pedestrians, uh, you know, and if you've ever been in Vegas, there's all these uh, trucks, these billboard trucks that run up and down the strip and, and the other streets, you know, advertising for the um, various uh, shows and and. Uh, other uh, adult entertainment that you can find in Las Vegas if you are so inclined. Uh, so, yeah. So you know, we I'm got in. Tired. Yeah, we got got in. You know, went for our ride, uh, and it was pretty much absolutely uneventful. Um, you know, the the car just worked really well. Um, it did. You know, it, as with the other recent demos we've had with Waymo and and GM and Cruise Automation, uh, they had the in the uh, the screen in the front of the car. Uh, they had the display showing what the sensors were seeing around the car uh, and showing the path that uh, was coming up. And then in the, the back seat, uh, there was a second display, which was showing uh, the lift interface, uh, showing, you know, which was rather than showing what the sensors were seeing, it was showing uh, sort of a rendered aerial view of the car and, and where it was going on the road. And that was what you would use uh, for the, the regular with 
when the riders would get in the car, the initial screen there would be, you know, there was a button on there to start the ride. And so you get in and tap the button and then it, it would uh, proceed to take you on your ride to wherever you were going. And uh, the, it's, uh, it's interesting with the uh, previous generation of prototypes, one of the things that, uh, that the, what was then Delphi that talked about was for their, uh, their sensor system, they were using a, uh, they were working heavily with Mobileye as well. And they were using a more camera centric approach, really focusing on the, the vision sensors, but they also had radar and LIDAR on the car. And, um, this time when they built up this, this batch of cars, they uh, they wanted to do more work on the LIDAR part of it. And so they initially built them up with more LIDAR and radar sensors. So there was nine LIDAR sensors on the car, around, all around the car, and uh, nine radar sensors around the car, as well as some cameras. And, you know, they mapped the entire area around, around the Las Vegas Strip that they were going to be uh, driving in uh, so they could uh, locate. Uh, and they said they claimed uh, they had one centimeter accuracy on their location of the car, you know, so knowing exactly where it was in the, in the lane and everything like that. And it, it just, it worked really well. It was really smooth. Uh, no, no jerkiness to the control, you know, dealt fine with, you know, cars cutting in front of us and, um, you know, all the, all the usual nonsense that happens on the streets of Las Vegas. <laughs> so what you you know, what you experienced was basically, a picture into what's sort of commonly described, right? Like uh, as one of the benefits of automated driving, you know, it's, you don't have to worry about it. The car worries about it, Mm -hmm. but also it's still a crowded traffic environment. Like imagine if all of those cars were, uh, you know, one or two riders, it's sort of solo rides, not like, a, a predetermined route like a, a bus or some other kind of public transportation, um, you're still going to have gridlock. It's just going to be automated gridlock. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, I mean, if, if what you have is a lot of um, a lot of automated vehicles instead of a lot of human-driven vehicles, then ideally, I mean, you know, the, this is the theory, uh, the, the theory goes at least, that... Um, the vehicles will will be more responsive uh, and more predictable in their behavior than uh, than human drivers might be, because as we know, you know, human drivers are uh, not always that predictable. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know, if you replace all the human drivers with automated vehicles, something that's not going to happen for a long time. The the theory is that the the cars would be. Um, First of all, they'd be able to run closer together because, you know, they have sensors, you know, they can more accurately measure what the other vehicles around them are doing. And in the case of uh, of the Aptiv cars, they're also using vehicle to vehicle communications um, and um, and vehicle to infrastructure communications. So, you know, even if the car in front of you is about to slow down, then then you can slow down as well. You know, so the the intent is that uh everything should run more smoothly. And so even though you will have the same number of vehicles on the road, hopefully you'll have fewer just random stops. Sure. I I can see that it might uh, smooth some of the effects that we see now, like the backwards traveling wave that happens when Mm -hmm. people that get sudden solar glare or curves that may change. Uh, My concern is that it actually 
doesn't reduce the amount of vehicles on the road. The amount of vehicles on the road stays the very same or actually increases because now you're opening up uh, mobility to, to new groups of people who otherwise would have gotten around in some, some other more efficient way. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, well, no, I actually, I mean, that is a very valid concern. And in fact, the likelihood is that, you know, in the combination of the fact that population is still growing and particularly urban populations are growing, you know, more the, the percentage of the population living in cities is increasing and, and the overall population is going up. So there's more people that want to get around. And, you know, with the ability for people to get around in cars that don't necessarily have the ability to drive, there there almost certainly will be uh, – at the very least, probably as many cars as we have today. At some yeah. point, it'll it'll probably you know once it gets efficient enough and and we replace more and more of the human driven vehicles uh, and use mobility as a service, then the number probably will come down somewhat. Although it probably won't come down to the degree that some people have predicted. You know, we're you know reduce the the car population by seventy or eighty percent. I don't I, think we'll yeah, ever get that low. No, I think that's insane. Unless there's other very large even cultural shifts like that, that that's a change to the way of life as big as going from horses to automobiles yeah um, no absolutely that, so, that's gonna take a while <laughs> yeah so you know i mean what we're gonna have is that you know we're probably actually gonna have more vehicle miles traveled <clears throat> uh more passenger miles traveled but um it'll be done you'll have f hopefully if we do it right Hopefully there'll be less of, you know, vehicle miles that are traveled, you know, people just trolling around the, the block looking for a parking space or, yeah um, you know, driving around, you know, a car dress, driving around empty with, you know, like taxis driving around with nobody in them. Right. I, I mean, and honestly, if you run a taxi, you don't want a deadhead like that. You don't if you if you have a trucking firm, you really don't want a deadhead. You want to be making money every time it's out on the road, like in, in both directions. So. Right, and that's something um, you know. One one of the big themes of CES this year, uh, we'll 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 get to that later. You know, is that whole area of, you know, the business models around these vehicles. So, yeah. Dan, what have you been driving? Yeah. So last week you had the Elantra GT, and um, this week I had the Elantra GT, and like you said, it's a it's a it's a solid car in its class you know it's it's roomy it's well done it's well finished uh it behaves well i even had the seven speed dual clutch transmission uh which is like you said it's got an ice cream truck driving by uh, <laughs> that's, that's the washing machine so you, you really if you buy if you buy something that's like from lg or samsung oh this is a total tangent uh but apparently they like things that play music and it, and and it might be part of the korean culture because I, when i get a korean car like this hyundai or one of the genesis cars you, you shut them off they play a little song until you like go into the settings you're like stop playing the little song <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm not that jovial <laughs> leave me alone um, but anyway get off my lawn yeah uh yeah it's, no it's a, it's a good car i will say um, they don't really commit too many sins, uh, but it, it definitely still my benchmark for this class is is the Golf, and to a lesser degree, um, the 
focus. It doesn't feel quite as solid, you know, just like machined from a single piece of metal as those cars do. It doesn't quite have the supple ride of the Golf. Uh, but in every other respect, I think you, you certainly get a lot for your money. It's very competitive. The materials are just as good. The, the design is just as good. The engine is, is again, you have the 1.6 liter or the two? Uh, it's the 1.6 okay. turbo. And it's got a lot of mid-range muscle. Mm-hmm. It, it feels good. Um, you know, so it's it's a very competitive car in a market that is still competitive, but it's not, it's not, you know, it's, it's not where everybody's attention is right now. Um, but I'm glad that they're, they're not just mailing in the effort. Um, it's certainly, it's very much worth your time if you're, you're shopping in, in the field. One thing that bugs me the most is of all the infotainment stuff that they do, right. They don't have a hard button to get to the phone, like a paired phone. And that bugs the hell out of me because I'm do you usually mean? on. Uh, well, so there's no like around that screen. That's the, the the screen in the dash at the top of the center stack. There's a hard button for you know radio media. There's a couple on the other side too. There's not oh, too many. Oh, you mean a button to get to the phone interface to make the call? Right. So okay. I actually I'm usually on some other screen. So I have to hit the home screen and then I have to hit phone to get to my paired phone. And so I feel like that's a little bit clunky, unless I use the voice recognition. I suppose I could do that. But again, I don't want to talk to machines. <laughs> <laughs> so it's my do, phone. Do you use Android Auto? Uh, my phone uh, is not new enough oh. to have Android Auto. Android Auto, I'm sure, would, would make that a lot easier, too. I could flip to that. But, yeah. Um, you know, device mirroring and that kind of stuff. Or I, I cheaped out on a phone... And now I'm I'm just gonna ride it till it dies. So, <laughs> I mean, really, I don't. No, I don't it, you know what? If it works, there's no reason to upgrade it. Crazily enough, I use the phone for phone calls and texts, <laughs> and like when I'm bored in meetings, I'll whip open the browser, and then one of my colleagues will text me and say, "Stop it! You're in a meeting." <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, you know, in, in my job as an as an analyst, I spend a surprising amount of time on the phone, you know, talking to people. Uh, and since especially since I work remotely, you know, I don't work in an office with, with my colleagues. My colleagues are scattered all over the world. And so, um, you know, we actually spend a reasonable amount of time on calls, on conference calls or, you know, doing interviews with people. And so I have a, a surprising a surprising number of uh, monthly call minutes on my phone. Yeah, uh, but it's nice that they give you so many minutes now because they're like, well, nobody uses the well, phone. We can afford it. Doesn't to cost it. anything, so you know they no. give them they give them away like for free. Um, yeah. So there's really again, it's it's just uh, there's not a whole lot of of criticism other than to say it, it feels you know slightly less. Um, Slightly less premium, I guess. The, the the interesting thing about the Volkswagen stuff is that it always feels premium, even when it's not the premium version of that hardware. You know, they just they they're very good at using one set of components to make three or four different brands. And and so everything sort of gets a little bit of the shine of the top brand. Uh, it, it kind of makes its way down even to the cheap ones. So 
I don't know. The Elantra lineup is really good, though. <laughs> it looks good. It drives well. Tomorrow, it's going to be Crown Victoria City, <laughs> which looks bad, drives awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it'll run forever. Uh, it just, I cheaped out on the battery. It did not like very cold weather. Oh, really? That big engine, even with synthetic oil, it was like, nope, not going to do it without a boost. So I was like, all right, you hateful thing. <laughs> Um, well, when, so yeah, I got, when I got home today, it was actually 57 degrees here in Michigan. Yeah, it's that's what we have uh, coming here in Massachusetts. It's going to be really fun. We've got like 60 degrees coming tomorrow um, So and rain. So everybody's basement is going to flood, and then it's going to, within a space of a day, even less, it's going to swing like another 40 degrees and flash freeze. Of course, we're, we're, we're getting ready for the, the uh, Detroit auto show starting on Sunday. So um, Saturday, Saturday, it's going to be 19 degrees high with a low of seven. So yeah, we're, well, we're that, ready that's, for you. I mean, it's the Detroit show. It's supposed yeah. to be brutal. Absolutely. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting <laughs> stuff that's going to happen at the Detroit show. So hopefully next week we have plenty of things to talk about. Um, yeah, there, you know. well, there's there's plenty of things that uh, that we know about that we can't talk about yet, but uh, uh, we'll we'll get to those next week. Yeah. Uh, so let's get back to CES, um, and we'll stick to some of the the automotive uh, stuff at at CES. Uh, maybe the best thing for us to do is just talk about the, th the things that impressed you most. What, yeah, what left so, the biggest impression. So yeah, you know this. It, this year marked the uh, 10th anniversary of my first CES. I went first time I went was uh, in 2008, and when I went then, I was I was invited by GM to come and and check out the uh, autonomous Chevy Tahoe that had a few months earlier won the DARPA Urban Challenge, and it was interesting. You know, at that time we got to ride around in the in the in this thing in the parking lot. They set up a course in the parking lot across the street from the uh, Las Vegas Convention Center. And they had some various obstacles set up and they had a, another vehicle going in there, you know, like pulling out into intersections and so you could see how it stopped. And it's funny that that very first ride <clears throat> in an automated vehicle was actually the last ride I had that didn't have a safety driver in it. When I, and that at that time, there was no safety driver in, in the vehicle. There, there was just me in the front passenger seat and uh, an engineer in the back seat. And uh, the, the next time that I've been that I was in an automated vehicle with no safety driver was this last October when I went to visit Waymo. And uh, so, you know, it took almost 10 years to get back to that same point. But, you know, it's interesting now, you know, as we're starting to get closer to actually trying to, you know, deploy these things commercially. Uh, one of the big themes of the of the show from an automotive perspective this year was, okay, now we're going to put these things on the road. How are we going to make money from them? And so yeah. everybody's trying to figure out what the business models are going to be for automated vehicles. And one of the, you know, uh, is it, fascinating, both Toyota and um, Ford did uh, uh, press conference, or actually Toyota did a press conference. Toyota uh, and Ford did a, a keynote uh, the following day, so Monday and Tuesday. And but the themes of both of them were were surprisingly similar. Uh, both companies uh, are in the process of developing platforms that will enable uh, partners to be able to utilize these vehicles, so service provider partners. Because, you know, the, 
the plan is that or the 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 direction that everybody's going with these vehicles is they're not going to be sold to consumers. You're not going to be able to buy, for the most part, uh, an autonomous car for many, many years, certainly not an affordable one. They're just going to be way too expensive and, <clears throat> excuse me, um, a lot of things going on. Uh, you know, they, they need, they, they need service. They need to be serviced and ma- and maintained properly, you know, uh, get software updates and everything else. So manufacturers are planning to deploy them into, into fleets. And when you put a vehicle into some sort of commercial fleet service, if you want to make money at it, the vehicle has got to be in use all the time. You want minimal downtime. And so all these companies are now looking at, okay, how do we make sure that these vehicles can get used as many hours of the day as possible in applications that are going to generate revenue? And so Toyota announced what they called ePallet. Uh, and there was two components to this. One was this concept vehicle that they showed, the ePallet concept. And, you know, this is basically a box on wheels with an electric powertrain. It comes in three sizes, you know, small, medium, and large. And uh, it's reconfigurable. And, you know, in, in concept, in principle, it's a lot like some of the other concept or some of the other vehicles we've seen, like the Navia Arma and, and the, the local motors, Ollie. You know, it's basically, you know, kind of a shuttle vehicle that can go around autonomously. Uh, but it's also designed to be reconfigurable so you can use it for different different purposes. So you can sometimes of the day you can use it for you know, carrying passengers. Other times of the day, it'll be delivering packages. Other times of the day, it'll be delivering pizzas and, you know, food and whatever else. And so Toyota showed this concept and they announced this ePallet Alliance, which is a partnership with Amazon and um, Pizza Hut and uh, Didi, the Chinese ride hailing company, and Uber. And, um, it, it, you know, so they're, they're going to work on this logistics platform so to figure out how you get these vehicles deployed uh, for all these different services. And then Ford announced their own variation of that. Uh, and theirs actually went even further. Uh, they had a couple of different components to this. They had, they're developing this, um, tra- what they're calling a transportation operating system cloud platform uh, for cities that, you know, that they would offer to cities. And, you know, that would... Uh, provide various non-competitive services, things like authentication and payments and so on. And cities could use that to tie into all kinds of other providers, tie into their transit systems and uh, various companies and and coordinate uh, all the pieces that would be going on in cities. And then they also have this transportation as a service platform, which is similar to ePallet. Uh, and they, Ford is partnering with uh, Domino's again and with Lyft to pilot this. And they're actually going to launch a pilot test uh, sometime this quarter in a city yet to be named. Uh, and the idea is to, uh, you know, manage the logistics and optimize the logistics to, to keep these vehicles working all the time. So, yeah, here's the thing. Uh, this is not my original thought, but it was it's worth sort of pointing out. Um Imagine you've ordered a pizza from Domino's, which now I want a pizza um, because I said the word. Uh, But (laughs) right now, if I were to order that pizza, some dude drives up in a car, knocks on my door, hands me the pizza. I, you know, sign the 
receipt or give them cash or whatever. I don't have to get out of my slippers. Mm-hmm. Um, these these cars are great, and they they will get the the pizza to the curb. Then I've got to go out and get it, and it just seems like actually from a user perspective, and I, that's a tough one to solve unless you have like you know Rosie the Jetsons robot coming up to the door. Um, but th- that actually makes the user experience worse. Yeah, and this is actually one of the um, one of the things they found when Ford did their initial uh, test experiment uh, with Domino's uh, last fall here in Ann Arbor is, uh, you know, as you said, you know, when people order pizzas, you know, when they don't want to go out of the house, you know, they or or any other food, you know, uh, for right. delivery when they don't want to leave the house. Right. If you know, I wanted and, to put my shoes on, I'd go to the damn pizza joint. <laughs> right. Or, you know, if, if it's raining out, you know, I mean, you, you don't want to walk out to the curb to pick up your pizza. No, I mean, so, I'll give the guy who shows up on the porch an extra couple bucks if it's crappy out. Like, that's that's how the economy works. Exactly. <laughs> and so, I mean, this, this is what they uh, apparently experienced with, with that test program. And so the, they're working on that. They're trying to figure out, you know, what are the best solutions to that. And maybe it is is you know having some sort of you know little robot that that comes out of the thing and, and brings the pizza directly to your door uh, that'd be so weird yeah but the yeah pizza I mean, robots the, here you know there, there's still you know there's still a whole lot of things to figure out and that that's why they're doing this now uh oh you know, try, i got try it to, because you know the cars are still a couple of years away but they're trying to figure all this stuff out now before they get to that point yeah, and they could use one of those creepy uh, Boston Dynamics like. Uh, oh, there you dog go, big or, dog. Yeah, um, <laughs> those things are awesome, but they're terrifying. <laughs> the scary pizza nightmare robot is here. <laughs> uh, it, it, it could be just like you know two two of the uh, episodes of the latest uh, series of Black Mirror. Yeah, um, yeah another metal, show metal, I don't metal, watch. Metalhead and uh, and Crocodile. If you if if you oh, if I've you haven't watched the latest series of Black Mirror that came out on Netflix uh, just after Christmas, you know check uh, check out those two episodes and and you'll understand what I'm talking about. All right, when I get some free time, which will be next year. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, and, I'll do that. you know, keep in mind, you know, Black Mirror tends to um, for the most of its episodes. You know, it tends to represent uh, very dystopic views of of the world. So reality. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so all this effort putting in putting, being put into autonomous vehicles, you know, is potentially leading us into a real dystopia. So, you know, to to get there a little faster, um, one of the things that really interested me from afar at CES was um, the Chinese uh, company called Byton Byton. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you get a chance to see that up close and, and I did. look around? Um, it, uh, it, it bear, from especially in profile, it bears a startling resemblance to a Nissan Murano. I mean, I think it's really good looking. It is not. I mean, and you know, that's not not a bad. You know, when I say it looks like a Murano, that's not a bad thing. No, it's a, true, actually yeah. look look quite nice. I was I was quite impressed with the design. Uh, you know, whether or not they can they can actually build it, you know, and do it. Profitably at forty five thousand dollars is an entirely uh, separate question, but um, yeah. you know it certainly looks promising. They're making some some bold claims, and I you know I think it's another one of those those things like yeah sure forty five thousand dollars is the number that we're going to talk about. We're going to show you the one that cost ninety or yeah, or whatever. That, that um, may well be the case. Yeah, uh, and that that's fine. Like every every automaker, even the, the you know Ford and 
General Motors and Mercedes, like, you know, the oldest car companies around, uh, they do the same thing. <laughs> so, that's, right. that's fine. Um, how did it, I mean, some of the ideas in here don't seem like they're they're well thought out. They seem like they're great for CES. Like, oh, everything's going to be screen-based. You mean that giant 49-inch be... uh, display across the front? Yeah, I mean, and that's, <laughs> even that's fine as far as it goes. Like, that's a really inexpensive or, or less expensive way, I think, to do a lot of the controls if it's a big touchscreen. Then, well, I don't think know. I don't think it's it's not actually a touchscreen, because oh. keep in mind, you know the way the the way it's mounted, it's actually pretty far away from you. You know, if you're sitting in your seat, um, you're not going to be able to reach that thing. So, oh, so it's it's, it's like gesture controls. Yeah, it's, it's relying on gesture uh, gesture control system, much like uh, some of the current BMWs. Oh, that sounds like a great way to distract the crap out of the driver. Um, yeah. and, and like some of the other stuff that they've talked about with that is like, well, you can can you know have them. It's it shows messages from everybody in the car. It's like, why would you want to do that? Just, I I don't know. Um, it seems like they they have missed the mark in terms of what they're saying that can do. It and it seems very screen obsessed. There's that big screen. There's uh, when you pair your phone to it, your phone becomes part of that system. There's screens on the back headrests. Like, how about you just ride in the car? Maybe that's the CES thing where it's got all the screens because it's CES. And so that's what we talk. Exactly about. right. Although I, I think I that's know. probably, you know, given, given the, you know, some of the popularity of Tesla's touch interface, touch screen interface, you know, I think, you know, every startup seems to think that that's the way they need to go, which I, don't agree with uh but you know until until you've got um autonomous vehicles uh you know i i just think that that's a terrible idea yeah we we're on record as not being um <laughs> fans of screens uh so you know ces is in this in this place where especially for for automobiles i think there's there's a lot of technology that we're on the cusp of or that is already going into cars um and it's it's early you know um what's even the new um uh mercedes system with the horrible name was it like mbox M- or something M- mbux okay. as in mb user experience mercedes-benz um, user experience okay that strikes me as like okay better ish but maybe <laughs> not i don't know i'm i'm very skeptical about things i've i've seen here like uh you know, Toyota and Amazon announcing that um, uh, Alexa is going to be prominently featured in, in future Toyotas. It's like, again, like what what is the benefit? What do you get out of that? Well, I think, uh, you know, and I don't necessarily agree that it's all that useful. You know, I have I have two uh, Amazon Echo dots that I've been gifted at various times <laughs> that both sit in a drawer um, unused, unplugged in because, you know, I didn't really see any value in them and my wife didn't really want them around either. Um, but, you know, if you if you like that uh, as an interface, you know, if you if you like some of the capabilities that it can provide, you know, embedding it into the car as another, you know, another form of digital assistant is fine. I mean, you don't have to use it. Um you know, but, you know, having that capability in there for those that do want to use it and and for better or worse, you know, the the Echo uh, has proven fairly popular. It's, you know, it was certainly apparently um, 
Amazon's best-selling product uh, during the the most recent holiday season. So, you know, I if they, you know, what they're what Toyota was talking about is will actually be the first truly embedded version of uh, Alexa voice services right in the vehicle. Right now, there's a bunch of manufacturers that uh, that provide the ability uh, for their cars to tie into Alexa skills. You know, right. which means that basically you can create little apps that you call from your Alexa and it, you know, it goes out and does various things. Like for example, you know, you can have an Alexa skill that goes out and start, you know, you, you trigger it from your echo and it, it'll remotely start your car with a voice command and, and get it warmed up. Um, things like that. Uh, and Hyundai and BMW and the several other manufacturers offer that now and Nissan on the new leaf with, uh, with what uh, Ford, last year Ford launched um, more deeper Alexa integration into uh, some of their vehicles with Sync 3. Uh, and if you have the Alexa app on your phone and it's connected to your, your infotain to the Sync infotainment system through uh, Sync app link, then you can uh, use that. You can use the, the microphone in the car to issue uh, Alexa commands and it runs through your phone. What Toyota is going to do is actually embed that right in the infotainment system, build the Alexa voice services right in the infotainment system. So essentially your car becomes a rolling echo. So that's actually, uh, from my commentary about a user perspective, that's actually better because my experience with adding on Alexa sort of as a an, uh, an aftermarket thing uh, playing with the the Garmin Speak that has Alexa in it, uh-huh. it was such a pain to go through all the steps to pair the phone with the uh, Garmin Speak and then initialize it and enable the Alexa skill or the Garmin skill or whatever, and then make sure that it stayed paired with the car. And then um, if I got a phone call, it would get all confused, like which speaker does it play from? And so... so Putting that kind of stuff into the car makes it much more seamless. So I I get that that makes that makes more sense. Um, and I guess if you if you do the things that you like from it, if you do use those commands, that's that's uh, I can I can see the merit to that. Like it was it was neat to just be like Alexa, do this, and it would it would do it or at least try. Um, I just didn't find a lot of things I wanted to ask the thing to do. So. Right. And I, I hear you. And that's that's why I have two echoes sitting in a drawer. <laughs> maybe maybe it'll get better um, yeah. after some time. Uh, all right. So one last CES thing, unless you've got something you're dying to talk about. But uh, did you survive the power outage? Uh, yeah, actually, strangely enough, I um, I had an appointment uh, with uh, Hitachi and Clarion. Uh, for a demo of some of their technologies that was in the parking lot across the street from the uh, convention center. And I walked out uh, about five minutes before the power went out. And nice. as I was walking, walking into my meeting, uh, I got a notification on my phone from the CES app that uh, the power was out in the convention center. So I just missed it. 
Well, that's that's all right. Um, what did what did Hitachi and Clarion show you? That's that's like mobile audio and stuff, right? Um, yeah, there was there's some mobile audio, but it, uh, the demo stuff that they were doing was more around uh, some vehicle automation stuff uh, and and various technologies. Uh, so, <clears throat> for those that don't know, uh, Hitachi uh, actually makes the um, the stereo vision camera system that powers uh, Subaru's Eyesight. Uh, adaptive cruise control system and uh so they you know they've been working on driver assist systems for for quite a while and uh they showed uh, a valet parking system you know that you get out of the car you know tap the thing on your map on your uh, tap the app on your phone and it'll go uh and if you're if you're in a parking lot that has um, a smart parking system parking sensors it knows where there's empty parking spaces it will automatically go to the first available parking space, park itself, and you can retrieve it remotely. So that's, you know, that's a nice feature to have, you know, so you're not spending time driving up and down the aisles looking for a parking space. Um, although I guess it, if you've gone to a mall recently, you probably won't have much trouble finding a parking space. But, you know, yeah, I mean, our, you, know, may, may, you know, maybe maybe, you know, at a football game or something like that. Sure. Um, but uh, but is not the point of a football game to get there early and tailgate? Okay, so maybe that's not a bad example. Oh, I have stumped the. <laughs> <laughs> um, one one of the other uh, interesting things they showed uh, was um, a, a garage parking training system. Uh, if, I don't think that was quite the exact term for it, that the, or the, the what they called it. Oh, but, but yeah. What, basically, what it was is like, for example, if you have a, a narrow garage. Um, and, uh, you know, it's hard to open your doors in there. Um, what you can do with this is uh, you trigger the, the training mechanism. You, you know, press a button um, or tap something on the screen. And then you drive the car into the garage once and, and then back it out again. And then you can save that. And then the next time. Uh, as you approach your house, you know, and, and it uses geolocation, um, you can automatically trigger the self-parking. So, um, you know, it, it can it can go and park itself in your garage uh, and you can get out before the car pulls itself uh, right into the garage. And then when you're ready to go somewhere, you know, you just tap the button on your phone and it'll back itself out. You get in and you drive off. Hmm. So it's kind of a cool little feature. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's not it's not necessarily something that everybody's going to need, but if you're if you have that kind of situation where you know uh, you, your parking space is tight, then it it can be very handy. Hey, you know, at least they're trying to do something useful. Yeah. No, um, absolutely. So you also. Um... You got an interview out there with uh, Chris Ermson, right? Yeah, I had a chance to talk with with Chris uh, for the first time, um, and for those who don't uh, recall the name, uh, Chris Ermson, uh, along with uh, Brian Seleski, led that uh, that very same uh, Carnegie Mellon team that worked with GM back in 2007 to win that DARPA Urban Challenge. And uh, after that program was done, uh, Chris um, went to Google. Uh, actually, both Chris and Brian first went to uh, Caterpillar and worked with them on, on some autonomous um, mining truck programs. Uh, and then Chris went to, uh, to Google and led the um, self-driving program at Google from 2009 through 2016. Uh, and then Brian followed him there and was there most of that time as well. Uh, at the late 2016, Chris left um, 
Google. And uh, early last year, he and Sterling Anderson, who worked on the first generation uh, Tesla autopilot, both um, started up a company called Aurora Innovations uh, to work on, you guessed it, self-driving systems. And uh, last week before the show, uh, both Hyundai and Volkswagen announced uh, that they were going to be working with uh, Aurora to uh, help them develop their own autonomous driving systems. And uh, Chris was at the uh, Hyundai press conference last week or earlier this week in Vegas. And I had a chance to sit down with him and I'll actually post that. I'll, I'll post that recording uh, as a separate file on the feed uh, in the next day or so. Uh, so look for that uh, as a, it's about a 30 minute recording and uh, chatted about, you know, kind of what, uh, what um, Aurora is doing and kind of what their, what their strategy is, you know, what, what their business is going to be in all of this. All right, cool. Well, let's let's jump to uh, a little bit. I, I guess this is sort of pre North American International Auto Show uh, news. Um, there's diesel F one fifty now. It's been rumored for a long time, and for a while I was kind of shrugging, like, why? Why would anybody want a diesel in an F one fifty when you can get the diesel in like the F two fifty? Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, I mean, I, I guess Ford sees a case for it, and uh, so now it's here. There's a three-liter power stroke diesel in the F-150. And yeah, I mean, Ram <clears throat> Ram has done pretty well with the uh, with the three-liter diesel in the um, in the Ram 1500, and uh, Ford happened to have an engine that uh, they've been building and selling to Jaguar Land Rover for a number of years that uh, Jaguar's been using. Jaguar and Land Rover have been using in their vehicles. And uh, so now it's going into the F-150 finally uh, back back almost 10, yeah, 10 years ago, um, a couple of uh, F-150 generations ago, uh, Ford had actually announced plans to put a, di a diesel in the F-150. Uh, it was supposed to go in there in 2010. And after the whole uh, financial meltdown, that 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 project got canceled, uh, although that that was a 4.4 liter diesel V8 and that did end up going into Range Rovers in Europe anyway, but it never got used in by any Ford brand vehicles. But now we've got uh, a three liter V6 that's based on the same architecture that's going into the, uh, the F-150. And it's, it's an upgraded version of the one that Jaguar Land Rover has been using for a while. Uh, it's got a new higher pressure ignition system beefed up, forged steel crankshaft uh, and connecting rods uh, generates 250 horsepower, 440 foot pounds of torque. Uh, and uh, it's, it's going on sale uh, in the next couple of months in the F-150. And the interesting thing about it is it's rated uh, at, uh, they've already tested, you know, got the tow rating, 11,400 pound tow rating. Yeah, that was part of what convinced me that, like, okay, that's that's actually useful. That's a pretty hefty tow yeah. rating for an F. Well, the, the, you know, the, the three point five liter EcoBoost will will do that as well. It'll, you know, it's got about the same tow rating. Actually, I think it's it's about twelve thousand pounds with the the three with the EcoBoost. I um, thought it was a lot. I thought it was less than, but okay. I'm no, it's apparently not into trucks. Yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> it's about the same or slightly more. But um, the thing is, the the three point five liter EcoBoost is um it, it uh it's only rated at uh like 23 miles per gallon on the highway right it's and, thirsty right and well i mean compared to older you know compared to v8s it does fine 
But when you're when you actually put it under load, if if you're towing a heavy trailer, I mean, if you're towing an eleven thousand pound trailer with that thing, the fuel economy drops pretty dramatically. Yeah, one of my favorite things about making a turbocharged vehicle work hard is, um, especially if you can do it at night, you get those things going with like long periods of being in boost. Stop and look at the turbos; they're red, red hot. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> but they're but the reason why they're so hot is because you know they're gener- you know they're consuming a lot of fuel you know generating a lot of energy and so uh there are you know ford thinks that there are a significant chunk of their customer base and given that they sell nine hundred thousand f1 or f-series trucks a year uh that's uh that's a pretty large customer base even if it's a small chunk of that uh that want uh decent fuel economy and a high towing capacity. And so they're, that's why they're offering them uh, this uh, diesel in the F-150. Uh, they're projecting that it's going to get highway fuel economy of 30 miles per gallon. And um, the drop in fuel economy, even when you're towing that 11,000 pound trailer, is going to be a lot less dramatic than it is with uh, the EcoBoost engine. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's for, you know, for a certain class of customers, you know, that, you know, maybe towing a horse trailer or something like that. Um, but, you know, don't necessarily want to step all the way up to a super duty. Right. And I think that um, that 11,400 pound towing capacity is going to be, that, that's like the best case scenario, right? So that's the, the, the short cab, short bed, no, uh, actually, two, it's, right? it's, or it's, is it? No, uh, the diesel uh, for retail customers is only available in uh, in the Super Cab and Super Crew, and only in the uh, uh, Lariat and um, the Lariat trim and up. So Lariat, Platinum, and Limited. Uh, and I mean, it's it's four by four and four by two, though. I yeah, see four, yeah, both four by four and four by two, and uh, you know, it, even even I think the worst case, um, you know, is probably still going to be well over ten thousand pounds towing capacity. All right, so because that's one of the tricky things that they'll do is they'll they'll mess with you. They'll be like, ah, oh, it has this awesome tow rating. Yeah. If you get like the total base model truck that nobody's ever. No, I think buy. I think I think that tow rating is for uh, like for, like for a, a super crew like a crew cab uh, lariat uh, with um, with the sh- I can't remember if it's the shorter bed or the longer bed. Uh, we'll have to check. They have they haven't given the full specs yet, so yeah. we'll see. But um, it, uh, also the other thing, too, is fleet customers will be able to buy the diesel uh, in the XLT trim level, which is what, you know, it's the most common trim level that fleet customers buy. Yeah. And well, I, I think they're going to actually see um, that's going to be popular because mm-hmm. if and they, they know a thing or two about sort of where the customers are. So I'm sure they've they've done the math and figured out, like, you know what, some of these people who buy the the super duty trucks, they're going to come down to the diesel F-150 and that's okay. Yeah. And we'll also get some other people who wouldn't ever buy the F-250 or 350. We'll, we'll get them in the diesel F-150. And if they can figure out the profitability, if, it, if it's more profitable than the heavier duty trucks with their more expensive heavy duty components, then like, why do they care if they're cannibalizing from their own truck line? Right. And the, um, you know, the, the, they're projecting uh, roughly probably about 5% uh, 
of F-150 customers are going to go for this diesel. And so, you know, assuming that F-150 is about two thirds, so about 600,000 of, of those 900,000 F series with the rest being super duties, then, uh, you know, that's about 30,000 trucks a year, which is a, a pretty decent number. I mean, and, that's and, a whole automaker worth of vehicles. Yeah. Um, in, in some cases, several automakers worth. Yeah. Um, but the, the other thing, too, is now that they've got this engine certified for the U.S. market uh, for Ford vehicles, I think it's probably a pretty safe bet that we're going to see it show up in some other uh, Ford and, and Lincoln vehicles like the Expedition, the Navigator, maybe even the new Ranger. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a fantastic bet. I mean, when you're towing, especially if it's like recreational towing, right? You're like you're not you're not that fleet XLT customer. You're you are the person with the horse trailer or the the boat or or whatever. Um, you want to take the family with you. You want to go on vacation, so you want to tow the boat or the RV. And so, putting everybody in the new you know expedition is what you're going to want to do, not the F one fifty. So, yeah, I think I will see this in other stuff for sure. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I also, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it uh, if they end up replacing the old 3.2 liter five cylinder diesel that's in the um, transits as well with this engine. Is that a Volvo engine? Um, I don't think so, but it might be. Huh. But, you know, it's, it's definitely an older design. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it'll probably get replaced by this one. Well, good for them. I mean, everybody who has continually said, build it, I will buy it. Now it's your chance or your, no, now yeah. you must put up or shut up. Exactly. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, so we've got, I think a couple of other, couple of other things. If, if we think they're worth talking about, I actually talked to someone about the, the GM in-car shopping thing that was, in, it was announced a while ago, but I, I um, rattled his cage and, and talked to somebody at the dealer level. Um, and did we want to touch on North American sure. car and truck or all right. Um, or, or we could leave that for next week when we actually know who the winners are. Yeah. Why don't we leave that for next week? I, okay. I don't want to bore everybody to death with our predictions. Those, those, uh, those winners will be announced on Monday morning at the auto show. So. Yeah. And I'm sure it's not like, honestly, if you look at the field, you, you won't be terribly surprised. Well, um, uh, I mean, who, who do you think is going to win? All right. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the list. So we've got, we said we weren't going to do this, but we're going to do it. Uh, what the hell? <laughs> all right. So car of the year is Accord, Kia, Honda Accord, Kia Stinger, Toyota Camry. Utility of the year is uh, Alfa Romeo Stelvio, Honda Odyssey, uh, Volvo XC60. Uh, and truck of the year is Chevrolet Colorado ZR2, Ford Expedition, or Lincoln Navigator. So I think um, I think the Accord's going to win car of the year, although the Stinger may pull off an upset. Um, you know, all three of those are new. So yeah. that's, that's why well, they're on the list. I mean, you're, you're picking a cord. I, yeah. I, I think it's going to be the stinger, you know, having talked to a bunch of jurors, I, I think it's going to be the stinger. Okay. I mean, good, good. There's, they're not dead yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I think the XC 60 is going to be the utility of the year. Um, I'm going with the odyssey. Really? The, uh, first of all, the odyssey is not a utility vehicle. That's a van. Yes, it has inherent utility. one last year. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I guess. Well, let's put it this way. Are the Expedition and Navigator trucks or utilities? No, those are trucks. 
Uh, I, yes, they're util- they're SUVs, but SUVs, the traditional SUV, is built off a truck, so it's a, it's a subset of trucks. Right, but if you're going to split utility vehicles apart from trucks as a category, which they did a couple of years ago, uh, just before there was a dearth of trucks <laughs> to put in the truck category, uh, you know, I mean, I I know I I've talked to. Uh, to people on the on the uh, the jury, and the reason why they put them in there is because they're body on frame versus right. unibodies, but right. they're still utilities. Sure, okay, um, and I I think that the expedition is going to win truck of the year. Although I, I mean, agree, the navigator is like the navigator is a nicer expedition. So <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> um, I think it'll be the expedition too. Yeah, all right. So I mean, we all agree right. on some things. So all right, moving on. Um, I think in car touched- shopping. Yeah, we touched on this back when it was announced in the the spring, I think, and just sort of rolled our eyes at what an awful idea it is. But basically, uh, within, um, I think the CT6 is the only car that does this right now. Uh, There's going to there. There's a marketplace within whatever it's called. Within Uh, uh, Q. Right. Um, (laughs) I always forget. I feel bad. Uh, basically, you can press a button and do some useless things like uh, make dinner reservations because nobody ever thinks ahead before they get in the car to make dinner reservations, apparently. Or uh, you can order, um, you know, uh, uh, something from a, a fast food, a quick serve restaurant or something. And so a bunch of different things. But basically what it is, it's like you've got buttons that are embedded in the in the the system where you can get right at that functionality instead of messing with your phone. And that's, that's all well and good. So the cynic in me says, this isn't really, again, it's not about the consumer experience. This is so GM can charge other companies to put their little button in their cars. Um, and so I talked to somebody who works at a dealer, actually um, a Cadillac dealer and, and wanted to get, his take on it. So let me let me read through his comments and then I'll have you weigh in, Sam, on, on what you, you sort of think about it. Uh, his take is, it's insane that they're going to expect us to do this for a whole host of reasons. For those of your listeners that don't often deliver cars um, and probably don't really ask for the experience of going through all the features of a new car, it's a damned long list. And especially with Cadillac, but also something to keep in mind is that this technology isn't going to be easily approachable even for tech-savvy buyers. And that's that's one of the things that I find personally is um, I, I'm no Luddite and I use tech all the time. I get very frustrated at some of this stuff because it's such a pain in the ass. Um, so he says, so while he's going over how to actually use the whole car that these people have bought, which you know, Cadillac is not an unsophisticated car. Uh, you know, It's got OnStar and all kinds of options within Q. Uh, now he's got to set up my Cadillac or my MGMC or my Link, I guess, uh, so it is other brands, on whatever phone they use because the chances are they're not going to know how to actually use their phone all that well either. Um, and it's got to get set up on the infotainment system. And then uh, to use it, people are taking their eyes off the road just to do something with one button instead of making a phone call. Um, so his take on it is that it's pretty ridiculous and... Everybody on the ground feels that it's very ridiculous when they're delivering cars to customers. And Q, at least, since 2013, has already had points of interest enabled by voice. So you can search for the nearest McDonald's, say. Um, and it, it just it seems like it's it's really not the, the best implementation 
Um, maybe once you get cars that are self-piloting, uh, it might make more sense. But uh, it, it ends up putting you on a legacy system, which all embedded systems are in cars, um, using a touchscreen as opposed to just like, you know, a voice command on your phone. So um, that, that was his take on it. Uh, how, how would you feel about pressing the button for Duncan or I guess Timmy's at where you are? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, they have we have Dunkins here as well. I mean, they're in fact uh, down the road here is uh, Dunkin' Donuts and a Tim Hortons, pretty much across the road from each other. Excellent. Yeah, um, but they're they're both crap coffee, so I don't even bother. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, as far as this, you know, at at the the bottom line is that you know what you said at the beginning is right. I mean, the the this is ultimately about um, creating a new revenue stream. Uh, for GM and every automaker is going to do this. And one of the reasons why, you know, when Jim Hackett, the CEO of Ford, you know, gave his strategy update a few months ago, you know, one of the things that he announced in there is that from 2019 onwards, 100% of Ford vehicles here in North America uh, are going to be connected. They're going to have uh, 4G LTE modems in there. Uh, there, there's a reason for that. I mean, they're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. Um, you know, it, it's all about generating new revenue streams. And a big part of that is offering services that are based on the connectivity and the data in the vehicle. I mean, I, I did a research report on this last year and, you know, we're, we're looking, you know, by the mid 2020s, you know, this, this these kinds of services are going to be worth at least several billion dollars a year. I uh, find that appalling. <laughs> like I, why I, I funnily enough for a guy who works in advertising i hate being advertised to <laughs> i i sent an angry tweet to speedway a couple of weeks ago when i was filling the jeep up with gas because their gas pump now they upgraded the pumps and it has speedway tv in it that plays in the yeah, obnoxious ad at me and I can't, there's using the buttons, like none of the buttons shut the sound off. Right. So I was just, I was livid. I was like, I want to be left alone. Yeah. My, um, my nearest speedway station here did the same thing. Uh, on the other hand, they did also add an NFC reader to the, to that. So I can use Android auto to, or Android pay to pay for it. So, or if you've got uh, Apple pay, you can use that as well. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I, in general, in general, I agree with you. I, I don't like being advertised to, um, on the other hand, uh, you know, the, the way GM has implemented this, you know, these are not, you know, it's not popping up ads on your screen. You know, it's, it's in a separate, it's in a, you know, one of the, on one of the screens, you know, you tap the marketplace button and you've got these various services that are available. And, you know, if, so you only, you would only go in there if you're, for example, um, you know, looking for gas or, uh, you know what? I mean, I think one of the actually one of the you know the most interesting areas of this is parking. You know, I mean, we talked about uh, automated parking earlier, and you know, increasingly parking garages and parking lots are are starting to put in sensors. You know, uh, for where there are uh, parking spaces, of, you know, which parking spaces are occupied, which ones are available, and you know, one of the one of the services that GM's going to offer on here is Parkopedia. Uh, so, you know, you can tap on that. If you're going somewhere and you need to park your car, you know, you tap on that. It'll find uh, closest uh, park, available parking space. You can reserve a parking space, 
pay for it, you know, you know, right through there, it'll, it'll just charge your account. And then, you know, you just go directly there. So you're not driving around looking for a parking space and wasting gas and wasting your time. Okay, uh, I can, I can see that. Certain, that you know, that's I mean, think, fine. things like you know, Applebee's and IHOP and you know, TGI Fridays. Uh, you know, I mean, those I can do without. You know, Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, if you're in the car anyway, chances are you're just going to go through the drive-through. Yeah. So and, and you know, I there's I guess there's merit to having your drive-through order ready. Um, again, the frugal, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I mean, if, if they give you, if you you know, if for example, you know, they. Um, you know, they put a shortcut line, you know, so you have one right. line where you have to go and listen through that tinny speaker and try to, you know, see if they ordered the, you know, <laughs> if, they, if they got your order correct, you know, and the other line, if you've pre-ordered, you know, just basically just go to the, the checkout and grab your stuff. Yeah. Um, if they do, if they did something like that, that would be great. But, you know, in general, I, I'm not fundamentally opposed to offering some of these, some of these kinds of capabilities in there, uh, as long as they are you know, user selectable, uh, you know, so they're not, I don't want them popping up ads in my instrument cluster. Yeah. You know, see, as I'm, that's, as I'm that's what I find the most appalling is, is like often you just don't have control over it. Um, if I can just live with it, fine. But I, I don't even want like a little branded, you know, banner ad or whatever on my infotainment screen in, in, and not in the instrument cluster. Like I, I don't want it anywhere. Like I bought the car. It's my car. Stay the hell out of it. And, uh, the idea that you're paying for OnStar, which is like 15 bucks a month. Uh, well, and- actually, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they now, now when you buy a GM car, you actually get, um, five years of basic OnStar service for free. Uh, that, and that's, that's good. Um, I, I mean, OnStar, it's interesting. They were one of the first automotive telematics systems. They were they were back. the first, and it's they're really good. Yeah, um, no, they're fantastic. At what they do, yeah. Um, it's an it's an excellent technology. I think GM doesn't get enough credit for it. Um, their you know their their service level is good. OnStar's a great thing, um, but again, like you're paying for it and now. They're integrating. Um, advertising into it this is probably easier to stomach in that first five years when it's so that the cost is rolled into the cost of the car so you're like yeah whatever it came quote, yeah and, and increasingly that's that's the situation with most automakers is you know part as they as they go to 100 percent penetration on this they um they're they're giving you uh, basic levels of service, you know, that include things like uh, automatic emergency assist, you know, remote lock and unlock, those sorts of things. Uh, Complementary. I mean, they're, they're building it into the, the sticker price of the car. It's, it's part of the bill of materials. Uh, but you're getting you're getting that much. You're not paying any extra subscription fee for those services for the, at least the first five years. And part of the reason why they want to do that uh, is because uh, by, you know, if you. You know, the way it used to be with OnStar and most of these other services, they would give you, you know, usually three or six months trial period for free. And then you had to pay for it after that. And if you didn't pay for it, if you opted out, you know, and decided not to subscribe for it, then they would turn off the cellular radio in the car. And at that point, they could no longer communicate with the car. And if you ever wanted to turn it back on, you'd actually have to go to the dealer and have it re-enabled. Uh, because they, they could not remotely turn it on uh, because the, the radio was turned off. So you'd have to go to the dealer and they would have to flip a switch to turn it back on again. And 
they the manufacturers really want to have these radios on because you know one of the things they do part of the terms of service if you read the terms of service um, you know is they they do collect some data from the cars they collect of course some, they do they collect they collect some telemetry data and, and then they sell it uh, no well actually <laughs> Uh, well, there there is some data that they will sell, but that's only uh, with customer opt in. So, like for example, uh, you know, some manufacturers are starting to um, do partnerships with insurance companies. So instead, you know, we're you know a lot of insurance companies now. You can get a free little OBD two dongle that you plug into the car, and you know, record. You know, it shares your driving some of your driving data with the insurance company. And um, it, uh, you know, they give you a discount. Well, now with if you've got telematics in the car, if the manufacturer can share that data with the insurance company, they don't have to do the dongle. You know, so you have a more reliable connection and access to to, to better data. But um, all all of those those type anything shared with third parties requires a separate opt in from the customer. So they won't they cannot share or sell that data to third parties unless the customer specifically opts into it. So there is that. But it, internally, um, you know, the manufacturer does collect some of that data. You know, they, they say it's anonymized, you know, I mean, to the degree that, that it can, they can guarantee that hopefully it is. Um, but it's, uh, you know, they, they use it for things like um, predictive diagnostics. Um, they, uh, they use it for product development purposes. So, you know, they, they want to get some data on how people are using vehicles, uh, you know, to, and it helps them figure out, okay, you know, if, if we know, you know, for an electric vehicle, for example, you know, if you know how far people are driving the vehicle on a charge, how often they charge, what, you know, if they're using, you know, uh, 110 volt charging, 220 volt charging, uh, DC fast charging, you can, you can get a lot of data that can help you make your product development decisions. So there, there's value to that, you know, and hopefully, you know, it helps them make better cars in the future. Um, and then, uh, you know, they, they can, uh, things like predictive diagnostics, you know, over the years, they've collected a lot of data about, you know, different failure modes in the car and, you know, getting signals about what, you know, what are, what are the things that, are indicators that something is about to fail and you know battery one of the the first ones that they've done is batteries you know you can you can tell when a battery is you know getting on its last legs and you could certainly use this in your crown vic uh and you know so they can you know they can no for that car i just look at it and i go oh the fact that it's a ford crown victoria is an indicator something's okay. gonna fail well like, <laughs> you know they, they can they can send you a message saying hey you know we think your battery might be about to fail or some other component you know and you know would you like to schedule a service appointment to take care of this before you get stranded on the road so there 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 is a significant you know potential convenience factor and, and safety factor for that. So, you know, I think, I think there is some, some real customer value to that as to what your, your friend, you know, was saying about, you know, onboarding, you know, for customers when they're doing deliveries, you know, even if they didn't have this GM marketplace, you know, they still have to go through and, and do all the OnStar stuff and, you know, set up the uh, remote link app anyway. And every, this is something every manufacturer is doing now, um, you know, so that's, you know, whether or not you have these services, you're still going to be doing that sort of thing as part of the delivery process for new customers. Yeah. Well, I'm impressed actually that they, uh, they did, they commit to going through it that much. Um, I'm trying to remember when we took delivery of the Jeep, I think, 
I, I think part of it was that I was like, nah, I don't, I really don't need you to show me how to use the stuff. But he was not terribly interested in showing me all the fe- <laughs> like the features. Um, and it's not as complex a, a car as, as Cadillac with Q. There's not as many features to the infotainment in, in, uh, in that year Jeep in any way. Um, so I'm impressed that, that for, if that dealership actually wants its customers to have that bit of training. Um, and I think when you're, you're buying well, high-end cars, I think that's important. Well, I mean, even when we bought our Civic last year, um, you know, the, uh, the salesperson, you know, spent about 45 minutes with, with us, you know, going through, you know, showing my wife how to pair the phone and, and, you know, all, use all, you know, how all the different features worked before we left, you know, before we drove off the lot. Um, and, you know, there's an advantage to that as well. Um, you know, there's actually, you know, there's a cost savings to that. If they do that up front before you leave the lot for the first time, that does help improve customer satisfaction if they know if they understand how to use these features and it means that they don't come back for to the service department you know which is a cost you know if 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 they have to come back and you know if they've got complaints you know and they bring it to the service department it's like this doesn't work you know i, I don't understand what's going on here you know then it ends up costing them more later on so you know being proactive and doing that before the customer drives off the lot uh, usually leaves them with better, leaves the customer more satisfied um, in most cases. I mean, you know, there's going to be some cantankerous customers that say, yeah, just give me the damn keys and let me get the hell out of here. Right. There's always, there's one in every crowd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but the you know, the for most customers, you know, that perhaps don't understand the technology as much, doing that hand-holding up front does make a difference later on. Yeah. And you know what? I should talk to him actually about just generally uh, the dealer level experience from the sales side of it. You know, I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about what auto sales is like. And I mean, we get questions about it, too. So I'll, I'll reach back out. To yeah. Him. I mean, one, hey. one thing a lot of dealers are starting to do now is, um, you know, they're they're training, you know, one or more people on their staff as um, technology specialists, you know, that are really focused on understanding all the technology in the car. And, you know, they're basically there, you know, their job is, you know, during the delivery process or, you know, even when, when somebody comes in, you know, with a question afterwards to be there to understand all that technology and help walk the customer through that. Because, you know, I mean, this stuff is complex. You know, some of it is more, some of it is still a lot more complex to use than it should be. Okay. A lot of it is still more complex than it should be, (laughs) but um, you know, the, one of the ways you make that better is, you know, educate the customer. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, And I think we should, Move on from this topic okay. at this point. Um, I think we're actually, death. yeah, I think we're actually, uh, we're, we're done. We even got in the North American car and truck of the year. So, yeah, good. Um, yeah. All right. So next week we will be talking uh, North American International Auto Show and, or and Detroit. We'll have, and we'll have, uh, yeah, we'll have lots of news uh, from that. Uh, you know, the stuff I know about already that we'll, we'll have uh, information on the, uh, the new Chevy Silverado, like more details on that. Uh, there's a bunch of other, uh, introductions coming up and, uh, there may even be some surprises if some of the rumors are true. Um, there's a lot of rumblings, uh, in the media that, uh, we may even see a new Mustang bullet, uh, from, uh, Ford on Sunday. 
you you already know what the rumor at least no well I, I know what the rumors but no i can i can say in all honesty that you know i mean there there are things that we've been told by various manufacturers up you know under embargo up front uh up to this point ford has not said anything about the mustang or certainly not really to me careful with but they're they're really I and mean, you know this from your time at team detroit yeah. but they're they're really careful with mustang news really tight with it so um, um it's fair i mean you know there's a lot of stuff you know they will they will bring um they'll bring media in you know and give them previews under embargo you know and they'll say here's all the information here's here's the date and time when you can publish it you know so they give you some time to to work on your stories and get them ready and I, actually i you know i mean there's there's a lot of people that really hate that i actually appreciate having that extra time to be able to to go through and and you know write the story you know like for example, I wrote the F-150 story for Forbes, uh, the F-150 diesel, you know, and I had had a couple of weeks to get that put together. So, um, you know, but I, I can say I, you know, I have not been told anything. So I'm, I'm not breaking any embargoes by talking about the bullet because I don't know if there is. I mean, I'm pretty sure there will be a bullet based on some of the spy photos we've seen of what looks to be a bullet. Um, and the, the, the rumors are pretty strong. But I have no idea if they're going to show it this week or if we may see it maybe next month in, at the Chicago Auto Show or maybe in April in New York. So there we go. Uh, who stay knows? tuned. We, we might even see a mid-engine Corvette or not. Uh, maybe. Hey, we saw an electric uh, Corvette. Season, well, so. yeah. I bet I bet if we if we actually do see the mid-engine Corvette, Don Sherman's probably just going to keel over. I know. He's just going to be like, well, I can die now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. We will catch everybody next week. All right. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.